Welcome to the Health Science Coach Podcast. My name is Drew Garner. I am a health science and physical education teacher here at Turner High School. My objective is to provide information to students about different healthcare careers and explain how these professionals got to where they are in their careers. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's dig in. Today we get the pleasure of meeting with Lori Steen. She is an occupational therapist and clinical instructor at the University of Kansas Medical Center. How are you doing today, Lori? I am doing great. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and spending some time with us. Talk about your life experiences as an occupational therapist and now a uh, instructor at the University of Kansas. Um, so we were talking before I hit record about you know your your life kind of. Prior to being an instructor, you know, we, you started teaching uh, there uh, in the spring of 2020, right before COVID hit. Um, how did you make that transition from just a general occupational therapist to being an instructor? What kind of drove you towards that? I have wanted to teach for probably more than 10 years. And I am fortunate to have someone in this department that was always kind of chirping in my ear, always believed in me, always knew I could do it, and just was always there um, inviting me to try something new. And um, it just took some perfect timing and some words of wisdom from um, an athletic mentor and it all right. kind of hit at the right time, and I decided to do something that I've wanted to do and just see what happens. Okay, good. Um, so 20 years as an occupational therapist, um, mm -hmm. a majority of that time spent here in Kansas City, Kansas at Providence mm -hmm. Medical Center. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk a little bit about what an occupational therapist is, and then we'll kind of get into some of the daily life and routines of, of that. Sounds good. Uh, in occupational therapy, one of the things that we uh, work with our students to understand is what's called an elevator speech. Uh, for me, an elevator is a, a place nobody is speaking and everybody's looking at their phone, just kind of getting to the next place. So right. I like to think of it as a backyard barbecue speech. And something that if somebody asked me, uh, what do I do for a living? I try to explain it as the things that you did this morning to get to work, to get to school, to be a student. Those are the things that I want to make sure to help you achieve so you can be successful every day, no matter what they look like, no matter what supports you need, no matter how you want to do them. And my goals are your goals. You set the goals and I help guide you there. Okay. Um, so bringing in a client into Providence Medical Center and somebody new comes in, what are some of the first steps uh, an occupational therapist would, would work with? The first steps I always work with is I want to hear their story. So the story I get on paper from a physician may be different from the story that I hear from the person sitting in front of me. And I right. need to hear the story before I can formulate any kind of a plan. So physically, I'm just looking at what things would somebody have difficulty with as a result of an injury or an illness, and where do they want to be when they're finished with therapy. 
I may feel that they uh, should be at one place, but they would be perfectly content at another. Right. The so the first thing that I do is based on those goals that they're telling me okay. is assess them. Right. Um, so that could be anything from being able to put their clothes on for themselves after an injury, brushing hair, teeth, arm movements, all that kind of stuff. All that kind of stuff. Balance. Uh, yeah, overall, I mean, like we we have a makeshift kitchen. So anything like that that they would want and need to do. Okay, good. Um, so you studied uh, in college uh, at... Uh, Colorado State University um, started off there. Um, what kind of led you out to Colorado? Um, I wanted to get away from Kansas City. That was my ultimate thought process. Um, okay. And I wanted to go play sports and was offered the opportunity out there to go play uh, softball at a Division One school. And I really thought that's what I wanted to do. I didn't give myself a full chance out of fear, but I also didn't feel like I had a good support system out there and I was really homesick. I really wanted to come back to Kansas City. Right. So I spent a semester there and enjoyed the mountains and then yeah. came back. Okay. Um, so when you went to college, did you know what you wanted to study right off the bat or how did you kind of dive into occupational therapy? I had no clue what I wanted to do out of high school into college. And even probably that first year, I really hadn't found my love. So it took me going into the career counseling center and really sitting down with someone and letting them do their job and just trying to soak in the information they had. Right. So I found out that I love science and I love math and I love people. Yeah. So just trying to find a, a combination, a good balance between the things that you were interested in and some sort of occupation to, to apply those towards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so then you did your occupational therapy program at University of Kansas Medical Center. Um, got your Bachelor of Science in OT as well. Um, what did the, the schooling look like then? Or I guess now, what does the schooling if somebody's getting into it uh, for a program and they, they want to become an occupational therapist, what are some of the things that they can do uh, in high school or beginning of college to look at? So there's two ways to, um, to become an occupational therapist, if you will. Uh, there's an occupational therapy assistant that would require a associate's degree or an, a bachelor's degree, depending on the, the school. The program that I work in is an entry-level doctorate degree, a clinical doctorate degree. So once someone has graduated from a four-year university and applies here, they're here for another three years. Okay. So my, my uh, training wasn't a whole lot different. I didn't have to come in with a degree, but it still took me a substantial amount of time to finish. The training is very similar. Okay. Um, what are some of the, uh, I guess, um, 
rotations or clinical experience that students would do throughout the program? So for the first year, uh, they have, uh, they're involved in a service learning project. So they would be um, set up with a community site that they're there one day a week, one for, it's for four hours, one day a week, uh, just to get immersed into occupational therapy and the community around us. Then in their second year, come spring semester, they will do two, uh, what we call level two fieldworks and they're 12 week rotations. We call them fieldwork. And they do, they do those for an entire year spread apart along with some coursework. Then the following spring, they do a 14 week capstone experience. Right. Uh, with the 14 week capstone, is that something that they kind of pick and choose on what they study or how do they get into uh, that atmosphere? So the capstone experience is generated by them and their interests. Okay. And then it is to, it is set out to be an advanced educational experience in a community setting, hospital setting, um, where they try and grow in a more, um, trying to apply things maybe towards one specific area versus trying to get a generalized overview of that entire practice. Okay. So kind of like a thesis potentially. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, what are some of the uh, experiences that students are doing, uh, not specifically, but what are some examples of those type of, of experiences? Um, we have students in hospital settings, what we call acute care. So individuals that are in a very short hospital stay. Uh, there is also outpatient rehab that can be spe uh, really specific to like a hand therapy or um, uh, like a work re-education for worksite injuries. Um, Long-term care or uh, nursing home care with older adults, which geriatrics. Right. There's um, great community sites such as a driving program uh, here at KU that I will have a student in the spring doing some research with me. Okay. So there's great uh, American Stroke Foundation is another site and they're just really trying to work on making those sites even stronger and really trying to coordinate the site goals and right. student goals for like, like you said, like their thesis. That's pretty good. Um, so in your experience at, at, you know, at Providence in the rehab department, um, what are some of the specific things that you touched on in the acute side of the hospital? I saw everything. <laughs> um, when I was the, in the acute side of the hospital, I saw anything from someone coming in uh, that had to have an appendix removed but maybe that just caused enough weakness to they just needed to kind of have an extra couple of days and really get back on their feet right. to things that people have had a stroke or a head injury 
or um, a heart surgery, things like that. Yeah. Um, so then now your your current job after after your 15, 20 years in the field, um, you kind of wanted to make that switch into uh, instructing. Um, so with that switch into instructing, what uh, what is your role as a uh, instructor? And then we'll talk kind of like how the students you help process them through their their career path. Well, given that my background is purely in um, working with adults, so I don't have the pediatric experience that some of my coworkers here do. Um, that's also a great part of OT. It's just not my focus area. So here, my job is as a clinical instructor. So I'm bringing those 20 years of clinical experience to our students to help them link the textbook to the clinic. So trying right. to use those real world examples as teaching opportunities to really try and take what's on paper into what's an experience. Okay. So I'm involved uh, in several classes and several clinics, but it's yeah. really just trying to put the, the whole circle together. Yeah. What's the coursework look like for students in, in the occupational therapy program? Um, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's challenging for sure. Uh, in their first year, they take courses such as anatomy and physiology, understanding how to analyze movement and activities, um, understanding the foundation of OT, some entry-level understanding of the pediatric um, community and uh, working with kiddos. Right. Um, neurology is one of the classes that they'll take in the spring. Uh, and then everything just gets built upon that. So it is, it's definitely challenging and tough and it takes a lot of grit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you first started thinking about, you know, good, getting in your, your degree, uh, you had told me that you had tried to follow in your dad's footsteps of being an engineer. Um, once you realized that wasn't for you, how did you kind of make that change like a lot I know a lot of students are they they get an idea that they want to become something and they find it's hard or it's not what they envisioned it being and then they kind of get stuck in this what do I do now scenario because they thought you know maybe this is what I want to do for you know their high school career and then they get out into the real world and they're like not what I thought what are some some things that you can help students understand about making career path and career changes? After that experience, after taking, it was um, a CAD course that I, I think I probably barely passed. I would, I don't know that I want to go back and look at uh, what that one looked like. I just know it was awful. Um, and I knew at that moment that if an entry-level CAD course was that difficult, that it definitely was not something that spoke to me. And I really had to sit down and think, um, think through the courses that I enjoyed in high school and really the things that made me happy in high school, even if they were courses, just courses that I found really interesting and trying to see the link between them. And I'm mm -hmm. telling you, I sat in that career counseling center and really tried to put the pieces together 
And I had to really do some soul searching. And it wasn't about how much money am I going to make? Where do I get to live? Where do I get to go to school? I really had to like sit down and really think about what was going to make me happy long-term. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with choosing occupational therapy, um, you know, you had talked about applying for occupational therapy school. Let's talk some of, about some of that process. So I'm a really competitive person and pretty stubborn at that. So once I decided I wanted to do OT um, and I wanted to stay at KU, I really wanted my degree to be from KU. The first time I applied, um, I say back then because it feels like a long time ago, it was there wasn't a face-to-face -face interview or even a Zoom interview. It was what's on paper is you. And I don't know that I uh, did a good job representing myself on paper. And the first time I didn't get in. I'm a person that it's going to take more than one no to get me to uh, back off and change course. So I decided to change my focus for what I needed to do on more leadership, teaching others, and even learning about topics that really weren't in my uh, required for my degree to just yeah. kind of get a more holistic picture. And uh, thankfully, uh, the second second go around was better, and I got into OT school. But um, I like to call them speed bumps and not mountains. So yeah. even biggest the biggest mountains, like in Colorado, there's a tunnel that goes through it. You just have to make sure you find it. Right. Um, so you mentioned Zoomed and in-face interviews as part of the application process. Is that something that is uh, involved now, or how does that tie in? So last year, we did all of our interviews via Zoom, and it was a challenge for sure. The questions were the same. The environment was different. And I'm really, I'm really impressed that even through Zoom, we were still able to really get a good gauge of our students. And the, right. class, the class that we accepted are the students that I'm teaching now, and they're amazing. Um, then also with that application process, what does some of the other uh, information that to apply then look like? There are uh, degree requirements. Okay. Um, so not only getting a degree, but meeting some of those course requirements in order to apply, such as anatomy and physiology, medical terminology. Those are all prerequisites to apply. Um, I will say, Grade point average is important, but it's not the only thing that we look at. Uh, and just to be very explicit, uh, grade point average between three point, I would say 3.4 and higher is really kind of where things start. Right. There's, it, that's not the only thing, but it does hold a lot of weight. Um, yeah. So it's a it's a tough thing, but you know, supporting your education with great community service is very important. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the things you look for uh, when applicants apply uh, community service related, or are there specific types of community service uh, that are more beneficial? 
or hour requirements that you find alike? Um, there are no longer any hour requirements at all. There's no volunteer experience, no shadowing experience. Um, what it does is it shows your dedication towards the profession or towards your uh, academic endeavors. Right. I really look um, personally, I'm really looking for someone that's passionate about what they're doing and that they're more and they're doing more than just checking boxes in order to apply. I want to be able to see the passion on their face. I want to be able to read the passion in their application. Um, so right now, um, out of your kind of, you know, experience in the clinical setting and then also as an instructor, what's something you're most proud of accomplishing throughout your career so far? Um, I would say probably it, because it's more um, current is deciding to choose courage over comfort. Uh, I was comfortable at Providence for sure. I knew what tomorrow looked like. I knew what my expectations were. Um, I just know how it felt and I knew the people that I worked with. Coming to KU was completely foreign to me. Uh, I do know, I knew some of the faculty, but just the going from the clinic to the academic world is, is so different. Um, one of my uh, athletic mentors always talks about risk equals reward and give equals get. Yeah. So I try to, I really try to like listen to those words when I'm uh, kind of having a little bickering match in my own head trying to, should I do this or should I do this? And I want to stretch and grow. Right. And being able to do that as an instructor, you see a lot of uh, times as myself in class, you know, well, we're going to try it and see what happens. The next mm -hmm. time I do it, I'm going to be able to gain on my experience of what worked and what didn't work, being able to uh, adapt it to the next class, the next situation. Uh, and I've, I've found that, you know, one style of communication doesn't really fit to all learners and being okay. able to have those, those different communication styles and tools in your in your tool case really helps. Um, with, with looking back at some of the things that you've done throughout your career, what's something maybe that you regret not being able to, to do? I would say when I was younger, especially when I was in school, was just not trusting my gut and trusting myself. Um, and really, I, at that age, I think I spent a lot of time worrying about what others thought of how I was performing or what I was doing versus believing in myself and going forward. I know when I was at Colorado State, I let fear get the best of me um, and I backed away and because it was uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. I promised to myself after that experience, I wasn't gonna let that happen. Like I was gonna try and if it didn't work, then I would find another method, but I was still gonna try. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so with, within the OT now, as professional development attains, looking at your uh, clinical set, we'll do both, I guess, clinical setting, um, what, what uh, types of professional development do you guys need uh, on a yearly, bi-yearly? How does that combine? So our uh, 
professional development for the state of Kansas, we are required to have 40 hours of continuing education experience every two years. Okay. Uh, I also hold a specialty certification in a condition called lymphedema, and I'm required to have um, 24 hours every six years that are lymphedema specific in order to maintain that certification. Okay. Um, and then what are some of your career goals, you know, over the next 5, 10, 15 years, something that you're looking at trying to achieve personally? So um, my son's going to graduate from high school in May of 2023, and then mom's going to graduate with her clinical doctorate in August of 2023. So um, I'm definitely looking for that kind of crazy time, but um, getting my clinical doctorate has been something that I've wanted to do for a long time, and um, it's it's definitely something that I can't wait to achieve, and I am having so much fun trying to do it right. Like, the classwork is very hard, um, but I'm having such a good time doing it. Yeah. And is that through KU as well? It is through KU as well, and it's a clinical doctorate, so I'm really trying to take the knowledge that I'm gaining and apply it to uh, either clinical education or actually into a clinic. Some of my uh, peers is kind of where they're at. So okay. mine is focused on clinical education of students in this environment. Right, that's pretty cool. Um, then looking at some of the other stuff that you're involved with at KU, uh, I found something that was called the Driving and Mobility Services. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that applies to occupational therapy? Absolutely. So I do the uh, driving assessments in the Driving and Mobility Services Clinic, where we look at what's called fitness to drive assessments. And I do assessments of individuals uh, in a simulator instead of in a vehicle out on the road. But we also do a lot of cognitive testing, physical testing, vision, distractibility. And they're individuals that have maybe had a diagnosis to where there's some concern about uh, fitness to drive or the ability to drive. Uh, I don't want to use the word safely, but that is part of it. Um, they could be an older adult. They could even be a younger adult after an accident. And it's really just trying to keep them in the task of driving and maybe make some uh, alterations, accommodations in order to do it. And as an OT, I think we're really unique in being able to, uh, numbers don't tell the whole story. Performance and the ability to problem solve really puts the whole picture together. And I think yeah. OTs are really, that's what we're trained to do is really look through um, maybe the hiccups in certain areas and how we can kind of use other supports in order to make them successful. Yeah, uh, that definitely makes sense being able to combine all that into assessing the, the ability of those individuals. Um, yeah. And then yeah. also the, uh, the J-START outpatient clinic. J-START outpatient. So J-START is a pro bono student-run clinic. It's interdisciplinary, which means there are PT students and OT students and speech therapy students. We get together every Wednesday afternoon um, and we hold an, basically an outpatient clinic. So it 
it's my ability to continue what I was doing at Providence in this environment. Right. But our, our students are the student therapists, and we're there for support in a very safe learning environment, uh, answering questions, but really giving, really empowering them into um, learning in the moment and really uh, expanding their knowledge base and really kind of giving them that grit and that confidence that they can do it and they do know a lot of information. So kind of like a, a student teaching experience. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really awesome to be able to have that setting where they're able to make their own decisions and, and see the patients and do all the stuff and then get verified that what they were doing was the right right thing for them in that setting. Um, and they get the get and they get that before they go on their clinical experiences. Yeah. So it really does give them that sense of confidence. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then so looking at some of the industry trends, um, you know, by I mean with technology and everything that we're doing, uh, you know, that COVID has brought us with being able to Zoom and Teams meetings and all that kind of stuff with um, people all over the world to get the same type of stuff done uh, that we were previously doing in person or, you know, maybe took longer to do. Um, what are some of the industry trends you're seeing in occupational therapy? So we're fortunate in the in JSTAR that we aren't bound by insurance stipulations since it is, they are free services. Right. So we were able to integrate telehealth into our clinic within a week of COVID basically shutting us out of the clinic. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely a little rocky at the beginning, um, but we figured it out. And I would like to think that we opened our own eyes about what was possible. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been there for a long time as an opportunity, just We've lived very much in the box of, um, but we want them in person, so they're coming in person. And we, when we couldn't do that, we realized that this was an opportunity that was amazing. So telehealth is there. And then also just expanding our knowledge base as therapists. So by 2027, to get uh, all, this, all the schools in the United States will be required to be an entry-level doctorate program. Uh, we're just trying to uh, be more of an uh, an academic uh, standard, and we um, are looking for accreditation by the end of this year. Oh, nice! Yeah, that accelerated one of the two. Right, the uh, accelerated accreditation I think will be something pretty big to be able to say that you know we're already accredited by you know 2023, five years early than than is required yep. is a big uh, benefit. Um, what's something that you wish you would have known in high school or you know early on in college that could help you now with your, your career or your career path? Um, I th that's kind of funny. Um, I think I wish I would have appreciated books. Yeah. Um, and it's as simple as that. I really wish that I would have just appreciated just leisure reading, but I didn't. Um, and now I have just kind of like my stack of the ones I can't wait to read. Um, I also, 
even when I was in high school, I was able to identify those teachers that I really bonded with. And I always continued to stay in communication with them. And I didn't realize at the time, I do now, I didn't realize at the time that they were helping really guide me more than I thought they were. Um, So, and the other piece is I, and I think now, uh, students do get a better understanding of this from at least from what I've learned from my own children is understanding um, how you learn best and how you can right. stretch. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, being a teacher, seeing that in the classroom and you seeing that in the classroom now as an instructor, um, it really does help expand their their ideas and thoughts of how they can do stuff. Um, so speaking of books that you thought that, you know, now that you have your list of books that you can't wait to read, um, what are some books that you would recommend maybe to a high school student or a, a college student that's getting interested in occupational therapy? You know, that's a really hard question because as an OT, we can really work in such a variety of settings. But there is a book that I think really embodies what OT can be, which the book is called uh, Rush to Glory by Rebecca Rush. She's an endurance athlete, but it was really like using her bike as her uh, way to really kind of help kind of like mentally heal some um, some parts of her life that she was kind of looking to try and understand. Um, And to me, it was to me, it's a great book. That's pretty good. Um, personal development, you know, I, you have the talking about the endurance athlete and the bike in the background. Um, what are some things you do personally to kind of help you develop as an individual? Um, at, over the past five years, I've really appreciated some mindfulness just to kind of quiet my own mind and the busyness of work and children and all those things. I've really just come to really honor five minutes of the lights off and try and turn off my brain and breathe. Um, Cycling is huge now. That is one of the things that I have found that also allows me to kind of get in my own space and do my own thing. Um, About 2000 miles a year. So I don't know that I'm keeping quite up with you or not, but during the season, that's kind of where I'm at. and then kind of the my goal right now, my current goal is to try and get seven hours of sleep every night on Good. a consistent, on average. <laughs> yeah. yeah, being able, like you said, the doctoral program, the teaching, the instructor, having your own kids, having their stuff to do, um, you know, getting that that mindfulness, that five minutes of, of just relaxation and then being able to try to get that seven hours on average of sleep a night is something that I think a lot of uh, people in the industry kind of struggle with being able to to put all their stuff together and still have time for their own fitness uh, and development as to what you want to do. And I think a little bit with COVID has helped some of that with people being able to say, I need to step back. I need some time to myself. I need to be able to relax and not just straight hustle the whole time. Um, so I think that those are really good uh, personal and professional development things that really help. 
Um, being an occupational therapist in the industry and an instructor, what are some tools that you see um, that help you daily with your, your daily activities? Um, well, it kind of goes back to the, the mindfulness and the rest. I literally have a yoga mat here in my office and it isn't necessarily for yoga. It's literally, I can do my mindfulness just laying down and giving my body a break from gravity, which as you get older, <laughs> gravity is not your friend sometimes. Um, and I look, and I actually don't have it out, but I have a rocket book. I love my rocket book just to take notes quickly. I can take, I can snap an image of it with my phone and send it to my email. So I have record of it instead of going through reams of paper. Um, my laptop, of course, is the only way that I can function. And then um, Microsoft Outlook. So I definitely don't forget about meetings like this. <laughs> but I mean, that's how I that's how I like keep my life organized at the moment. Um, and organization is definitely success for me at the moment. Yeah. Um, so getting into that occupational therapy mindset of being in the uh, industry, what if if, if somebody's thinking about being an occupational therapist, if they dislike blank, then being an occupational therapist is not for them. I would say if you dislike um, just talking to people, it's really not for you. Right. Um, if you can just strike up, strike up a conversation, it's, it's definitely uh, a strength for sure. That's, that's pretty good. Um, I've heard a lot of, of that kind of same message being sent out as to, um, you know, connection with people and being able to talk and especially with the therapy type jobs, you know, physical therapy, sports medicine, physical therapy, occupational therapy. Um, is there any type of uh, public speaking or classes related to that that would be beneficial for uh, you know somebody to take uh, coursework I know that I had to take a public speaking course um, I always recommend even to my kids uh, just if you're at the convenience store just hey how are you doing with the the cashier behind the counter is a great way to do it making right. eye contact is so important um, even if you're volunteering really being involved and again, having those conversations and learning just to put yourself out there. I know that there are uh, technical programs that uh, speaking uh, can be part of that and that can you can be on kind of like that team. Um, wow. I would say any opportunity you can to speak, even from a student perspective, is amazing. Right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so now let's kind of flip that around and look at that as if you like blank, then being an occupational therapist is the right career path. I think if you like problem solving, uh, it is the career path for you. I do a lot of problem solving all day long. Sometimes I feel like I'm a detective and it may be just helping a student problem solve how they learn best or how they can learn the inf information in the most efficient way. Uh, it can also be problem solving with an individual about how to meet their goals with the most supported home. So I love that about my job. Perfect. Yeah, that that definitely the problem solving, I think, with 
you know, seeing those injuries and helping them regain that mobility or regain that skill that they had or want to have, I think is, is a big, a big key in, you know, getting them back out into, into life. Um, and then, so last kind of question I look at uh, with a lot of the uh, people is, you know, if you have a mantra or quote that you kind of lived your life by that helps, helps keep you going and helps keep you energized. Um, I have a few. Um, one of one of my big ones, uh, and it's kind of a rule of the house, is R and R or respect and responsibility. I really do feel like pretty much all of life can fall in those two words: respect yeah. for yourself, ultimately, ultimately respect for yourself, and taking responsibility for your actions, even if it's uncomfortable. It shows a lot of character, a lot of grit. Um, and then one of them is also underestimate me because that'll be fun. That almost gives me enough of a spark to even try harder. And another one that I really enjoy is you can choose courage or you can choose comfort. You cannot have both. Right. Um, yeah, being able to split between the courage and comfort. I mean, if you're if you're comfortable in something, it's not challenging you. Yeah, you're not growing for sure. Yeah. Um, so kind of wrap it up. You know, thank you for spending so much time with us. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Maybe the University of Kansas, uh, your profession, occupational therapy. Um, of course, I I think I bleed red and blue at this point in my life. Like I am a I'm a I'm a Jayhawk. Uh, I didn't even own a purple shirt. Pretty much my dad was a KU guy and didn't own one until I was like grown and out of the house. So I'm pretty much red and blue through and through. Um, you know, KU has always been, you know, uh, one of those top 10 schools in the rankings for OT. And we strive each day to, to continue to work hard, to be a leader. Um, I think OT is the greatest uh, profession because there are so many opportunities. It's not just in a hospital. It's not just in the medical healthcare world. It's very much in your community. It's very much with kiddos. Um, you can do anything. So I think right. it's a really flexible career and there's great opportunities in the future. That's awesome. Um, so then with any anything else about occupational therapy that you want to share? Um, I've done my own. I've been on both sides of the spectrum. So, uh, I, I appreciate everything that an OT can offer and the vision of an OT. Um, I don't know. I would say hug your occupational therapist if you know one for sure. Um, I think we're all really unique people and uh, I can't function as an OT alone without my uh, PT colleagues, without my speech colleagues, without my rec my recreation therapy colleagues. I just, I think we all bring it together as a whole. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. I really appreciate it and uh, look forward to sharing this with the, the future students. Awesome. Good luck, everybody. Hope to see you soon in the classroom.